are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to Locked On Dolphins. It's hump day, Wednesday, August 26th. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, and today's episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order on the best protein bar your lips will ever touch. Today on the show, we are deep diving into the offensive line group. Uh, This is one of the critical areas of improvement for the Miami Dolphins when you take into account just how frustrating and up and down and erratic The offensive line play has been for Miami over the better part of the last decade. You go back to, like, the bully gate with Richie Incognito and John Martin at the beginning of last decade. You could probably loop 2016's offensive line win healthy, which featured Brandon Almert, Laramie Tunsil, Mike Pouncey, Jermon Bushrod, and Juwan James as a really good offensive line, and coincidentally... That's the year the Dolphins won 10 football games and made it to the postseason. Offensive line play has been such a sore spot for the Dolphins. And say what you will about Miami. At the very least, this regime is taking fixing it seriously. And the dynamics in which they have done that is actually one of the more Uh, inspiring things that I think this team has done. If we are looking for positives amid the Curtis Weaver decision, Curtis Weaver does not play on the offensive line. Curtis Weaver plays defensive end, and he now plays defensive end for the Cleveland Browns because the Browns claimed Curtis Weaver off the waiver wire after the Dolphins traded up. They traded an extra seventh-round pick to move up to pick 164 in April's NFL draft and draft Curtis Weaver. But what the Dolphins have done with Curtis Weaver, it extends to the offensive line group, and it extends to personnel decisions for this team as a whole that should have you at the very least optimistic that, like, okay is not good enough, and we're not going to settle for checking boxes. And it goes back to something that I spoke about uh, earlier in the offseason, before the NFL draft, and we've since spoken about it afterwards. But it's the dynamics and the impact of addressing versus investing in your needs. The Dolphins chose this offseason to invest in the offensive line. They chose to invest in in the defensive front seven. They chose to invest in the secondary. They took the opportunity to get better and not just address it by adding a player to the mix. They added multiple pieces with the intention of making sure that it gets right. And what happens in that scenario is, yes, you overinvested. You as the Dolphins probably did not need to bring back Vince Beagle and sign Kyle Van Noy and Emmanuel Agba, and Shaq Lawson, and draft Jason Strobridge, and draft Curtis Weaver. So the Dolphins now, they look at and survey the landscape of this position group, and it's like, well, yeah, like, we kind of like some of these other options more. But you don't get to that point by just adding one piece per year at a time. You have to almost embrace the surplus in talent, because that's how depth is developed. 
take it on the offensive line, which is how this conversation started. Think about the Dolphins' decision to draft Michael Dieter and him starting 15 games for the Dolphins in 2019. Dolphins come into 2020. We want to get better on the offensive line. Are you going to say, well, let's not draft anybody or sign anybody to play left guard because Michael Dieter started 15 games and we just drafted him in the third round? No, the Dolphins didn't do that. And as a result, they signed Ted Karras and Eric Flowers in free agency. And they draft two potential offensive tackles in addition to one of the few incumbent offensive linemen that holds any value on the team in Jesse Davis because he could play four spots on the offensive line. You draft Solomon Kinley. And all of a sudden, you've got this horde of bodies that you can now interchange and mix and match and find the right combination of players to put on the field. But if the Dolphins were to say, well, no, we drafted Dieter in the third round. We got to make sure he fits. We got to make sure he works. Michael Dieter, this isn't a kiss of death for Michael Dieter, but players develop at different speeds. And teams that are trying to win do not have the luxury of waiting around for the light bulb to come on to players. And what happens, you continue to invest in those positions until you get it right. And then as that player develops, if the light bulb comes on, now you've got an embarrassment of depth at that position, and you can then pivot and turn and adjust accordingly. The Dolphins seem to believe, for whatever reason, Curtis Weaver, as an example, was an extended amount of time away from having the light bulb come on and develop. They chose to value the roster spot more than his potential. Another perfect example of this is Josh Rosen, the quarterback. The Dolphins traded a two and a five for Josh Rosen. Would have been very easy to say, well, no, we need to get him the reps and develop him. We need to make sure he plays in 2019. They tried to get him to play. And he himself spoke about yesterday his opportunity to play. And he was quite transparent and, and quite blunt and said, I didn't do very well. So I am focused on bettering myself so that when my third opportunity comes, and I know a lot of people don't get third opportunities, so I need to make this one count. I'm focused on getting better. I'm being a sponge. I'm learning from two. I'm learning from fits. And I hope my opportunity comes this year in Miami to play. But if it doesn't, so be it. I'm going to continue to get myself better, develop myself, and that third chance will come. That mentality overlaps and meshes quite well with the Dolphins. They're not going to wait for you to get better. They're going to continue, and they chose what positions were most important for them to invest in. Offensive line was one. So was the edge. And as a result, Curtis Weaver's a casualty. It's probably going to be the last time we talk about Curtis Weaver on this show. But I did want to address it, because there's a lot of people that are confused or upset. And Dolphins could have made it work if they wanted to keep him. But they looked at their roster. Brian Flores mentioned the upcoming NFL draft and salary cap and the other players on the, on the roster. You don't want to sink a roster spot and create a bottleneck where other players at that position that you invested in are losing reps for a player that you feel like is behind everybody else. Okay, move on. Don't have an ego about it. I applaud the Dolphins for that. If you had hindsight and you knew that Curtis Weaver wasn't going to make the cut, you're going to trade up and draft him? No, you'd probably draft somebody else. 
but this is standard operating procedure for all 32 teams across the NFL. This happens everywhere. That's how the Seattle Seahawks cut fourth-round pick Gary Jennings midway through his rookie season, and the Dolphins get him on waivers. It happens to everyone. Don't expect the Dolphins to bat a 1,000. Won't happen. But we should applaud the stylistic approach to collecting talent has led this team to the opportunity where they can now make that decision because they don't need Curtis Weaver to be something because they went out and spent a bunch of other places. As we mentioned at the top of the show, our friends at Built Bar are back. And this protein bar was already the most delicious protein bar I've ever eaten. And then they went out and they completely revamped their formula for creating protein bars. And they're debuting half a dozen new, brand new flavors in addition to 12 classic flavors that are now back and completely overhauled. So whether you're looking for post-workout meal, healthy snack throughout the day, whether you're on the keto diet or you just want something that's delicious to eat every once in a while, Built Bar can bridge that gap for all of you. So visit BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you will get $10 off your next order with Built Bar. Promo code LOCKEDON saves you $10 off your next order. So I don't know what you're waiting for. Swing over to BuiltBar.com and pick yourself up a box. I told myself I wasn't going to spiral down the Curtis Weaver rabbit hole again, and we did. Today's supposed to be about the offensive line. But what I'm trying to do here, the mentality I'm trying to take at this point where it's still so early, we're still in the infancy of this rebuilding process, I want to try to find the positives. I will completely acknowledge I liked Curtis Weaver, just like I liked Josh Rosen as a prospect coming out of college. Curtis Weaver, this isn't a kiss of death that he's not going to be good. But it's not ideal for Miami that you would sink this pick into a player and then he never plays it down for you. But if you try to look at it below just the surface level dynamics of, well, we draft this guy in the fifth round and cut him. The fact that the Dolphins have the team building approach that they do has me optimistic that the problem areas on this team will not be long-term problem areas because the Dolphins are committed to getting the investment dynamics right. So with all of that said, let's talk about the offensive line. Let's talk about the expectations based on reports coming out of the first, I guess today's, what, eighth day of padded practice? We're 15 days from the start of the NFL season. So, like, it's right around the corner, guys. It's coming. We're going to need to figure out who this best group of five is We'll start with the tackles. A lot of the reports coming out of Miami are indicating that Austin Jackson looks really good. Uh, He's taking the offense in stride. He's not overwhelmed by the playbook. He's looking big, athletic, all the things from a physical skills perspective that we've already known that Austin Jackson is. He's living up to that billing and looks like a first-round offensive tackle. That's terrific, because that's further ahead than what I thought he was going to be. 
because he's so raw. So what this tells us is, unsurprisingly, he's a smart football player. If he's able to process and pick up the playbook, he's raw from a technique perspective still. That hasn't changed. But if he's more athletic, because this time last year, he was coming off of a bone marrow uh, donation that he made for his sister, life-saving procedure, and he was just trying to get like medically cleared and ready to play. Well, now he's a full year removed from that, so he's bigger, faster, stronger, all of the above. You, see, you have seen dynamic athletic offensive tackles make it work based off athleticism. Is it ideal? No. But if you're a scheme fit, I think about Minnesota. Minnesota Vikings have two offensive tackles. Uh, Brian O'Neill is one from Pittsburgh. Complete technical project. Minnesota ended up drafting him in the second round. He plays right tackle for Minnesota, and he's really freaking good. <laughs> like, it happens. It's, a, it's actually a position where you bet on the traits. If the guy is smart and he fits stylistically with what you're trying to do, it can work. You know, if you're going to do a bunch, if you're going to play – Bruce Arian style, push the ball 15, 20 yards downfield on like the majority of your targets and you're going to do seven step drops and you're going to ask Austin Jackson to pass that for that. It's probably not going to be great, but Miami is a quick game passing offense, horizontal spacing, ball out of your hand fast. They're going to run the ball. Like this is what we were talking about after the draft that like in a vacuum, no, I don't love the value of Austin Jackson at 18. But when you put it through the scope of what the Dolphins are trying to do, the puzzle piece fits. And Austin Jackson, early on for the Dolphins, is looking the part of a starting NFL offensive lineman. That's a win for Miami. We're going to start on the left and work our way across. So I think that kind of gives us the opportunity to, to work through some of the really interesting dynamics here. Left guard is very straightforward. Eric Flowers is not only your starting left guard for this football team, he is the leader on the offensive line. He has welcomed and embraced that dynamic. Flowers was one of the players who met with the South Florida media yesterday. It was really cool listening to him talk about coming back home to play in Miami and, and having kind of the realization of like, it's his, what, sixth year in the league? And he remembers like it was yesterday when he was the young rookie. And the Dolphins obviously have three prominent young rookies on their offensive line between Jackson, Solly, and, and uh, Robert Hunt. Eric is the guy who's putting the guy through their paces. He's giving direction. He's talking about technique things that he learned from Bill Callahan. It's really cool. And if he has a hand in being a steadying mentor for these young offensive linemen, and he gives you average to above average play at guard, then he's worth the money the Dolphins have given him because he's going to get everybody on that line better by his presence and his experience as a former high-end draft selection with a bunch of athletic tools who is transitioned to play inside at guard. Center, it's Ted Karras show. We, um, 
We do have Michael Dieter who has kicked inside and will get some cross training here, but snaps have been a problem for Dieter at center, which isn't surprising because he played center like early on in his career at Wisconsin. And then he went to guard, then to tackle and then back to guard again. So like he's played all over the place. Dieter has. It's been a while since he's had to consistently snap and he's been snapping to a quarterback in Tua who, let's be honest, we did a ton of gun. We weren't under center a whole lot at the college level. I don't think it's worrisome, and I do think Michael Dieter is going to bring value to this team because he can play all five spots. Ideally, he's going to be your interior swing, and Jesse Davis can be your outside swing in the long run. But Ted Karras, super smart. He's on a prove-it deal. He's more experienced. He played center for the Patriots last year. There's no reason to believe that Ted Karras will not be the starting center playing next to Eric Flowers to his left to start the season against New England. Between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty to do every single day. Give yourself one less thing to do on your to-do list and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. Whether it's Chinese, pizza, or Froyo, there's something for everyone on DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now directly to your front door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero in delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code locked on. That's $5 off and zero in delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code locked on. Don't forget, that's code locked on for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. So, where things get really interesting for this Dolphins offensive line is on the right side. Uh, you do have technically Dieter is eligible to play here. You got the fourth round pick from Georgia. Solly, Solomon Kinley. You have Danny Isadora. You have Robert Hunt slash Jesse Davis. But I'll say this of all the rookies, I was wrong on this one. I assumed in the build up to training camp that Robert Hunt would be the most ready to go. Where that fell short, where it seems as though that's fallen short, is the speed transition for Robert coming from playing at Louisiana to playing for the Miami Dolphins against a bunch of dudes that can pound and go toe-to-toe with you from a physicality perspective with Emmanuel Ogba, Shaq Lawson, so on and so forth. The speed transition has been a problem for Robert. And I said, you know, this summer, I would have guessed Robert Hunt would be the easiest offensive rookie offensive lineman to peg as a starter. That gets murky now because Solly is doing so well at right guard. Kinley looks good from every report from everybody there. And again, it's kind of the same spectrum as Austin Jackson. At left tackle. He fits the part. He played at Georgia, so he played in SEC. So he is used to 
the speed of the play on the interior and how quickly everything happens. Is Solly the most quick-footed offensive lineman on the team? No, he's definitely not. But he, having played at Georgia, has exposures to how fast the game develops on that interior playing against the best of the best, playing in the SEC. And it seems as though that has been really helpful for him. And at a dude that's 339 pounds, he is a monster physically. And you play this guy in close quarters, you understand we're going to run the ball between the tackles, and you are going to be stepping down on three techs and one techs, double teaming, climbing, creating movement. Yeah, that's, that's where he's going to win. And that's such a challenging part of how we have to evaluate when, you know, when you have to evaluate talent from the outside. You're not doing it from a team perspective. Think about NFL draft evaluation. Obviously, I'm director of scouting of the draft network. There are a handful of teams that Solomon projects really well to. The Dolphins are one of them. But if you put this guy in Minnesota, where you run so much wide zone, I'd even say, you know, L.A. Rams. Those are tough projections because they have far-reaching landmarks. you got to be athletic. You're going to go bulls on parade. You're going to work towards the sideline. That's not his game. So Solomon was not a universal projection, but his projection to the Dolphins, much like with Austin Jackson, makes sense. I think Solomon is the favorite to take this job, just like Austin over at left tackle. Because if Austin came in and his head was swimming, you don't want to play him. You're not going to expose a rookie who can't mentally keep up with what is going on. But if these two guys get the playbook, you understand there's going to be technical lapses, there's going to be some mental gaffes, but not a complete inability to grasp what is going on. The ceiling there is higher, and the value in getting those guys the reps to play, Brian Flores talked about this a little bit the other day, you have to put the best players on the field to give your chance a win, but there is a little bit of forecasting that's involved and required there to take into consideration how good can we be by week 12 if this guy plays and he starts a little slower but gets better as the season goes on. I think your two rookies at this point were the two not named Robert Hunt that are probably going to be starters. And where that gets messy for Robert Hunt is Robert is the guy who's struggling with the speed of the game a little bit from all reports. Now, physically, he's still a mauler. He's still physically got everything you need. And if you put him in those simple situations, he shows plenty of power and plenty of ability. But if you're the Miami Dolphins, do you really want to start three rookies on your offensive line to go against Bill Belichick? Do you really want to start two offensive rookies on the offensive line next to one another at right guard and right tackle? So Kinley playing as well as he has through the first week in camp and kind of staking his flag in the ground to say, hey, I'm making a push for first-team offense. That helps the case of Jesse Davis serving as your other starting offensive tackle early on for the Dolphins. Because season vet, Jesse's played everywhere. Jesse's played the Patriots before. He kind of knows those players. He knows what to expect. 
He understands some of the ways Bill Belichick is going to try and attack you. You got Solomon and Robert on the right side, week one. I feel like that's a slippery slope. I don't think it's an indictment of Robert Hunt. I do think the fact that he played at Louisiana here is something that we probably overlooked in our eagerness to say, hey, we really don't have another attractive option at right tackle. Well, Jesse Davis can do it. Do I love Jesse Davis there? No, I think Jesse Davis is the perfect swing, third offensive tackle, can play both sides, your perfect backup tackle. And you could kick him inside if you needed him to. That amount of versatility is going to allow the Dolphins, if they take on injuries, to put different guys in different spots without changing multiple positions on the offensive line and making yourself worse at multiple spots instead of one. So I wouldn't push the panic button on Robert Hunt yet, but I think we should be really excited about how far along the other two rookies are at this point in time and what that forecasts for the Dolphins. So at this point in time, you ask me who the Dolphins' starting five is. I'm going Austin Jackson at left tackle, Eric Flowers at left guard. I'm going Ted Karras at center. I'll go with Solomon Kinley at right guard, and I'll go with Jesse Davis at right tackle to start the year. But I wouldn't be surprised if Robert Hunt ends up getting some starting run before the end of the year as well. Kyle Krabs, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Locked on Dolphins. If you did, Smash that subscribe button and keep it locked in right here the rest of the week. We've got two more shows this week. Looking forward to them. Quarterbacks tomorrow. We got an update. We got to talk about some of the things Josh Rosen said as far as how he's getting better. We can talk about Tua having a stronger week of practice this week than last week. Lots to get into. So make sure you come on back and talk to us again tomorrow. Kyle Krabs signing off. Thanks as always for listening to Locked on Dolphins.